What's up, everybody? As you know, I'm Jason Diakite, a.k.a. Timbuktu, and I'm here with my partner and brother, Chef Marcus Samuelson. Together, we make this moment, the transatlantic bridge connecting Stockholm to Harlem World NYC. I'm located in Stockholm. Marcus is in Harlem. And of course, as always, we'd like to shout out all BIPOC folks across the globe, worldwide diaspora, and just shout out to all our listeners wherever you may be. Now, this week on the show, we have a very special guest. She's a real champion for women's rights and human rights. She's worked in the Swedish parliament, in the Swedish government, the United Nations, the European Commission. She's a giant on the global international political scene. She's helped us usher in the feminist foreign policy to Sweden. And that's something that has since been adopted by several countries. If you haven't guessed it yet, I'm talking about Margot Wallström. We're going to talk about her journey to politics, about COVID, women in office. So for our U.S. listeners, take note because you'll learn a few things in this one. A moment of wisdom with Margot Wallström. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Margot, you might not know this, but our podcast that Marcus and I do was born in the pandemic and born from the need, our personal needs to uh, talk and ventilate during this global crisis. So before we dive into all of the, you know, topics and important things that we want to speak to you about. Tell us, how have you been doing over this past year? What have you been doing? And what's been on your mind during this very, very strange, painful, and, and just different year? It has been a very difficult year because I went from leaving my post as foreign minister of Sweden, um, working mm-hmm. at the speed of like, 200 kilometers per hour to 10 (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) And also not being able to travel, but staying at my home uh, in Värmland in in Sweden. So this was, of course, something in a way needed, that is to come down to a a normal um, existence, but, but also very frustrating because I love um, traveling, I love being with people, I loved my job, and and then to an almost total close down. So, but at the same time, who am I to complain? I should not say anything because we have a nice house here. We have now um, 11 chickens to take care of. Wow. Beehives, so we, and we have, as I said, close to, to nature. So this was um, also maybe a, a lesson for, for, for us. But uh, of course it is in the end, you know, I miss meeting people. I think that the, you understand how important that human contact is. We keep saying, you know, let's stay in contact. Well, contact is exactly what we shouldn't have, <laughs> at least not first. It's, it's also, there's something weird about the world going into a lot of the contact we have. We only yeah. see like the top of what we don't see our full, you know, 
Zoom is not a place for full body language. No, and it's so. I think that does something it, to interaction. It's blood, bloodless and smellless, mm. and you also understand mm. something that I actually think artificial intelligence will never be able to compensate for, and that is, you know, you could meet a person and you could actually smell like a perfume and you think oh i remember this from <laughs> from somewhere else or you know the fact that you see see a, a color or hear something that will turn your um, sort of innovative uh, side on and you will be able to connect thoughts and impressions and and feelings that will maybe bring out a whole new idea and and I think that that is um, what we miss uh, when we cannot actually see each other or or give a hug to somebody. So so it is also yeah, it's getting boring in the end. I must say. And then you can laugh. You can use your imagination. Think well, maybe that person has no pants on. Actually, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Well, Margaret, I want I wanted to say something that I feel like so interesting with your life is that you lived in Vermland, but you also lived in big cities. You obviously lived in Stockholm, but also in New York. So you have this sort of like you can really understand people both from rural and from urban. And I think to having that emotional connection, it's really empathy for people living in different places, right? And and. Um, although you got in politics very young, you've also seen leadership and, and, and a person that must have had impact on you when you came into politics was Olaf Palme. Like, what's your memories and what do you take from? Mm. Uh, I have Olaf very Palme? vivid memories of, of Olaf Palme. Um, and um, I remember um, uh, having the very important task of picking him up. I was a young uh, member of, of the, the youth organization and he came to Umeå and I was living in Umeå at the time and he came to visit the student organization. So I was given the, the important task of picking him, him up at the airport, driving him to the meeting and of course trying to make conversation. and. Um, and they, I was a bit nervous, but I didn't have to because he would he would be very curious to know everything about me and Umeå and ask me to tell him about the, the student organization. And he was he was so alive always. He was um, and he would be curious and he would be then of course very enthusiastic and, and be an inspirational to, to all of us. And then I became also um, a, a very young member of the parliament. And he was of course the, the group leader in, in the parliament. And I still remember some of his speeches uh, and also his personality because he would, you, I would meet him sometimes when he came to uh, Riksdag and the parliament and he would look very, very, you know, elegant and he, he would have a tie and a shirt and his, his suit. And then it didn't take long before <laughs> that tie was untied and he would be, and he, he, he would be um, completely changed, you know, because he, he would always move and, and use his gestures and, and everything, his body language to, to change his whole appearance. And, and that was him, but, but like few others, he would, I think from him, I got really the message that you can change the world. If you if you think mm. you can, mm. you can, and and that was, uh, mm. um, yeah, breathtaking. I mean, you entered the uh, the Swedish Parliament at the age of twenty five. How were there other women? Were there other twenty five year olds in, in Parliament at that time in nineteen seventy nine? No, very few, and I think the one. Um, uh, Lena Jan who actually also later served as uh, as uh, a minister of foreign affairs, she was one of the few 
women before me who had also come very young into politics. But no, I think I was uh, one of the pioneers uh, in in entering uh, parliament. And I remember also being uh, pushed to the the side where the visitors groups uh, would go when some of those, uh, you know, the janitors in, in the parliament, when they saw me, they tried to push me into the visitors group. And I had to say, no, no, I'm a new member here. <laughs> you know? So it was... <laughs> It was, uh, of course, a very hierarchical and I would say patriotic system uh, and very strict rules. You know, if you um, came in uh, to replace uh, um, an ordinary member, you were not allowed to sit by the table. You had to sit uh, on, on a chair by the by the wall and just wait. Uh, and there were a number of um, untold and uh, <clears throat> and also very clear rules about how to behave. So I think a, a lot of these things have changed, but it it made an impression on me, um, and I didn't like it that much. I must say, I don't think they really took advantage of the fact that when you came as a new member, you really wanted to to make a difference. You wanted to participate fully. And that was not always, you were not always given a chance to, to do so. So this, these are things that, that have changed, luckily, and many more young women enter politics now. But did you look at, um, coming up politically, did you look at who are the other women globally that you were inspired by? Did you look at politics? Did you look at outside to look at role models? Because eventually you become a role model. But when you were coming up, were you looking at Margaret Thatcher, for example, at that time or Indira Gandhi? No. Like who were the people in politics, the women in politics? Well, thinking of that, at? no, I did not have very many uh, women um, role models. Uh, and I must say also that my... The ones that I really looked up to were more, you know, writers or from from the cultural world, I, I would say. Um, and those women inspired me more than having um, role models in, in politics uh, who, who were women. And luckily, Margaret Thatcher did not inspire me. <laughs> 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 I don't like, yeah. I don't like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> But Margot, from 1979, entering uh, entering Parliament at the age of 25 to 2014, when you become, in my understanding, the first foreign minister, the first feminist foreign minister in the world, um, you know how and and in a in a state that had approved that you were to conduct a feminist foreign policy, like how was that received, and what were some of the challenges that you were you know, that you were, what were some of the reactions you were met with oh, and what were some of the challenges of conducting that feminist foreign policy? Yeah, I, I felt very proud to be able to announce that that uh, I and, and we would pursue a feminist foreign policy in 2014. And we were the first government and I was the first foreign minister to, to do so. And this was, of course, part of, you know, I have always made my my agendas when I take on a new post or a new political role, I set an agenda because I think that if you do so and if you sometimes stick your neck out, you will create, you will get criticized for sure. That that's part of of your of the the job, but you will also create expectations and you set yourself a, a target, an objective, and. This is, you know, for me, if I have those four sort of priorities, then I will have to answer to the voters uh, after four years. So did you deliver on these things? And exactly what did you do? So when when we did so, when, when I pronounced that we would have a feminist um, foreign policy, I could almost hear the sort of the gasping of... of uh, seasoned uh, diplomats, you know, in the foreign ministry. But I must say, if it was met with some uh, uh, criticism or curiosity, it, it turned into curiosity uh, very, very soon. And then also I, I um, 
presented a number of parameters by which we would work on this through all our diplomatic representation around the world. So I said, uh, to make it concrete, this is uh, not a slogan. This is about changing uh, women's lives around the world and doing so by checking on, do they enjoy the same human rights and legal rights as men and boys around the world? Do budgetary resources go to meet the needs of, of girls and women as well? And do they even have gender budgeting? Do they check on, on the results of, of this on, on women and men respectively? So we, we use sort of those parameters, those three R's, rights, representational resources as the way to carry this out. And I think it, it has been an amazing uh, opportunity also because, and why does it belong to foreign policy? Because we know that more women means more peace. If women are around a table when peace negotiations are made, more options come on the table and the agreement will last longer. So that's what we know about this. And we cannot have sustainable peace if women are excluded. Have you seen your example that you boldly put forth? Be Have you inspired other nations? Are there other nations today that have a feminist foreign Absolutely. policy? Absolutely. Six countries so far have, uh, have followed. Wow. So uh, in, including Canada and France and uh, Mexico and uh, Tunisia and uh, Luxembourg. And I think others have, at least in part, they have also taken on to call it a feminist development policy or, or a feminist so we have inspired others. We have um, for sure um, made an impression with this. And we have, of course, been consistent also when we served on the Security Council as a non-permanent member. Then we made sure that uh, we would all the time raise our hand and ask, so where are the women? Are they there as peacekeepers? Are they mentioned in Security Council resolutions? Do they come as briefers? Are they there invited as um, civil society uh, representatives, mm. et cetera? So well, you have must have met some, some pretty interesting pushback, for example, in the United Nations context on, on these questions. We knew that this, uh, the, to use the word feminist, um, has a negative connotation in, in some countries. And, and you, I, but what happened was that when ministers came from countries where they would never, at least not now, they, they would not use a, a term like that, they would ask questions. And it affected them in a way also that they always took care to say, uh, to me, well, we now have appointed uh, uh, two women to our government as well. So I think that it also <laughs> sort of created mm. expectations on on their side. And it, and I also found a connection here, Marcus. Of course, as you know, Margot is uh, born in Ethiopia, and uh, you know, I mean, when when Abi was elected and and became president, you know, despite whatever is going on today, uh, it he. I think it was the first government to have 50% uh, a 50% female cabinet and in Africa also yeah. it's which is absolutely amazing. No it has it has and now less and less is this considered a controversial mm. concept mm. or a controversial mm. uh, um, word so um, there are organizations mm. in Germany I know that that call themselves the center for feminist foreign policy and they they try to promote this around the world and they they work for for women's rights so it has been it has been uh, I think a success and I'm I have just written a chapter to a book that will be published in Australia about about this because I think there also there is a movement there that want to to promote this and work for it so, so with that, I have to ask you, you must have been asked, uh, when will Sweden have a Swedish female prime minister? And you must have been put in this position at some point, right? Where yeah. you can be the leader of the party and therefore become the prime minister in Sweden. Those are I mean, very personal things, but also it would have changed. It, it, it will change the trajectory of what's possible. And why do you think that Sweden has to have a, Swede, uh, a female prime minister? Well, uh, there are women who have said no. 
<laughs> if I think of my own party, because now we have, uh, you know, leaders of, of uh, Swedish other Swedish um, political parties uh, that, that are women. So, um, so that's, uh, and, and I would say a majority uh, are now women. Uh, but in, in the sort of the biggest party that we are, the Social Democratic Party, um, I think it is more coincidences than, than anything else. And I belong to those who have been asked if I would be a candidate, but uh, I, I said no. And I think it comes with, um, women also know what it means <laughs> to say yes to, to uh, such a question, to become a candidate and how, how difficult and, and heavy it is. You give up your own life uh, very much so. And unfortunately, this is a tendency that we see in so many parts of the world today that women hesitate because they know that there is so much hatred, there is misogyny, there is, there, there, there is um, often a campaign and there are you know, a lot of, of smearing of their reputation uh, in, in different uh, uh, countries. So, and we created a network of um, uh, women foreign ministers and the, these were their stories from around the world uh, in the Caribbean and many of them said, well, I don't think I can, can do it uh, much longer because it's really so much of, uh, of these uh, campaigns against us. So it's a tough um, call as, as well, but I'm sure it, this will happen in Sweden as well, of course. But but take us back to like to those two to three person like you get the question you go home and you speak to your family and you must have gone back and forth and and sort of weighing these here are the pros here are yeah. the cons just you know unpack that for us like what was the emotion well, like well you uh, I I I have served on on posts I mean on ministerial posts I've had. I've done that for what is it, more than 10 years in different, you know, mandates, periods of mandates. Um, so I know that that is tough enough, but, but to, to uh, take that on to become um, the, the prime minister or, or a president, I, I think it's, it takes that you really want that, that you, you feel, and I, maybe I haven't had that, that quality, I don't know. <laughs> or simply that um, in different periods in your life, you know that I will not be. And then actually, um, for example, I, I became ill also while I was um, a foreign minister. I had a, a thyroid problem and, and that was very nasty illness, I must say. And, and that also made me think, you know, do I want to, can I continue? Because what will happen then? And, and uh, you need to be healthy and, and strong also when you take on those, those jobs. So uh, it's I mean, a matter of both personality, but, but I, I would say it has been, in a way, it's been a, a coincidence. And we had a, a, um, a woman party leader for some time, but then hmm. she had to leave and, yeah. So and is, and I take it that uh, that Anna Lind must. I mean, she was a colleague of yours, but I'm I'm sure she was a dear friend of yours too. And I think she would. Have I, I, I take it. Yeah, right. I take it that that her unfortunate, you know, assassination, her murder, uh, changed yes. the direction of the party too, Absolutely. or the direction of Sweden, because then maybe we would have had a a, a female prime minister. I, I think she would have become our. Uh, our first female uh, prime minister, absolutely. Mm. But uh, but also she had her her own problems to deal with in in her private life as well. So it was you know you. But but I I know that she, I know that she would have been willing to become mm. a candidate. Yeah. So so how did you feel? I mean, another country that hasn't had a a. Uh, the top leadership position held by a female is the United States. And uh, yeah. there are a lot of terrible things to say about the pandemic and so forth. But how did you feel about uh, when you found out that Kamala Harris had become vice president? Of course, because of the president's age, I guess, uh, you know, right. uh, stands a chance to actually become president one day soon. 
Well, first and foremost, I mean, we have followed uh, the election campaign and everything that has happened in the U.S. so closely and and with such engagement in, in Sweden. So so we were almost there, you know, when, when all of this uh, happened. And it has been, first, it was such a relief uh, to see uh, uh, Trump uh, leave and then I must say also, I have met Biden, um, President Biden, several times. And uh, I, I have known him as, and uh, have met him and see that he's a man with a big heart, um, with um, a sense of humor, but he's also a very experienced politician. He, he knows his stuff. And I must say that what he has done so far and of course, there are always things to criticize, but so far, the kind of very dignified behavior and uh, the decisions, I, I see one thing after the other, I mean, um, taking their place in the Human Rights Council to return to the, to the agreements, the climate, the Paris Agreement, all of those things that are one thing after the other that, that is, um, um, the, the right things to do, and and I think also his messaging. Um, so and Kamala Harris, of course, complements uh, this team in in uh, and and has her own role. And I guess many think that she will be the next uh, leader. And I think it's a it's a wonderful team, and we are all so proud and just want to do everything to help. It changed. No, I always feel. I always feel like day by day, Sweden becomes more like United States and United States becomes more like Sweden. I mean, the day that Amen. last week yeah. in that humongous package, you know, you have to think about that child care was put into yeah. the package, uh, yeah. stimulus package. And, you know, with all the headlines, that's probably not the one that reaches the world outside America. But when you live in America and when you live in a place like Harlem, this will cut poverty by half. I yes. mean, think about that. That's a humongous thing. This is, for me, it's probably the biggest thing, $300 per child. Um, and obviously something that Sweden has had for a very, very long time. But, but, uh, but and I just have you like read that. the book Title by Nick Kristoff and Ms. Cheryl Wooten? You have to read that book because it just shows exactly why this is so important, why reforms like that are so important. And um, uh, it will change everyday life uh, for so many uh, people and, and start to cut um, poverty. Um, and that, that is an, a very, very important precondition for, for uh, America also to rise from, from the problems that we see now. So I, I think um, that was amazing and, and very, very encouraging also. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I mean that really that there are some things in America that they're taking from Europe and Sweden in some slices of that that can really improve our society. But then there's also some things in Sweden that is taken from the American page. And then when you think about that hate crimes is up and you think about the, privatization of healthcare, know, any number yeah, of things, and, and and also the and number number of things. So there are, uh, I think, internet has come to a place where it's sort of like it's faster than how the traditional condition of how party works, right? Like before, we really thought about our countries and the political structure of those countries, but right now with all the different rabbit holes of internet that you can go down on, um, you see, you know, think about the impact of Trump in Europe, for mm. example. It's not going to go away. No, it's but, there. Yeah. You know, you think about Hungary, you think about half of Austria, you think, well, Jason and I talked mm. about this all the time, a third of France, so on, right? With this and, super, super and right even the, uh, extremist. even the anti-vaccine uh, uh, sort mm. of mm. people, they uh, arranged a demonstration uh, in, in Stockholm. Yeah, so, yeah. No, but what I, wa I wanted to ask you this last thing about this. How do you think politics and policies in the future, when we think about this sort of 5, 10, 15 years from now, 
Will the traditional structure of party exist in Sweden? Or is there a new way of mm, thinking through politics in Sweden that's going to come mm. out of this? What's your thought Well, that's that? the way we organize our democracies. They are based on, on parties, uh, political parties. I think we will see that they will be complemented by other forms of of societal engagement for for societal change, but I think they will remain as sort of the the basic structure for for t- for making decisions for and at at all at all levels. But also in a country like like the U.S., um, there is a growing discussion, as far as I understand, about the fact that there are two parties only in in. <laughs> the U.S. and the power balance between them, some of the phenomena that comes from that very rigid uh, system will have to, or even the voting arrangements will will have to be looked at and will probably have to be reformed. If this is to to come back to a, a, a lively system where where people uh, can have trust in their political leaders and and the the, the structure as as such, because now it's really undermined and eroding, and um, not to say that it is at all perfect here, but at least we've been able to to um, to make changes changes in the in the system and still keep a high degree of trust in uh, in our voting, for example. It's a bit old-fashioned, but also modern in postal voting and what have you. Um, mm. so, but something, something that personally scares me is, is what's going to happen, not only in, in the United States, but in Europe, as far as extremist movements and far-right movements. And today, I, I just heard on the news that the first European or Western European country to hold an election since the pandemic was the Netherlands. And the biggest gains made in, in, in amount of parliamentary seats was by far right parties. And I just kind of shuddered yes. inside because yeah. I, I felt I hope that this is not a trend that 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 kind of... Uh, a trend that is, is, is the same in... in well, for example, Sweden that has an election next year or other European countries. Uh, But I fear that it may be. This is an ongoing debate uh, here uh, as well. Uh, It's about sort of the alliances that we uh, create um, and how we deal with with the concerns of, of citizens. And we just have to make sure that we... We also introduce reforms that that deals with these problems. We have to make sure that there are jobs and social security and and childcare and and all of the th- in addition to um, making sure that we address climate change and environmental uh, problems. But but we have to see to that we reduce the inequalities. Um, and I think that that is uh, one of the basic uh, preconditions as, as well. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't look at. I wouldn't look at the states, Jason and Margaret, because I feel like as a democracy, the United States it's loud, but it's very young, right? As a black person, I only consider the United States as a democracy. It's only fifty-five years old, because before that, black people couldn't even vote. Right. So why would I acknowledge it as a democracy when when your father was born, Jason, super educated person that lived all over the world? And for the majority for for the for the first four election for him, he couldn't vote. Like so I so as in a democracy, the United States is very, very young. And I do think that there's huge rooms for improvement. But I think go back to your question before, I think what happens when Merkel leaves Germany. I think that I think about that constantly because it's easy to complain about somebody that's been there for a long time. I don't She's complain too much about Merkel. Actually. <laughs> no, but she she kept she kept and there are I other mean, Christian Germany, Democrats that another, I complain about, but not her. Yeah. But, no, no, but she lost another local mm. election. But you know what? When mm. she leaves 
All of these mm. things that we were just yeah. talking about, it all up for grab. And when Germany goes in a certain way, so goes Europe in mm. many, many ways. So that, for me, the one is the and France as well. I mean, they are at. always. If, if France and Germany uh, fares well, then the rest of, of Europe uh, also does uh, uh, well. But the thing is also, it's only now uh, that the Equal Rights Amendment is being introduced and accepted also in in the U.S. So both how how blacks uh, uh, people have been uh, uh, outside of, of the system and, and women as well has not been enjoying the same uh, fully the same the same rights. So there is so much to do, and of course, what we've seen now in recent years is there are more countries going in an authoritarian direction than those countries developing their democracy. And that is the danger. And it's up to us. It is really up to us to say that this is where we draw the line. These are the, the reforms necessary to keep our societies um, uh, equal and, and fair and democratic and you know, being able to address the most important uh, things. But I also, I, I worry a lot, and I, I can see it in, in, in France as well, that uh, you know, they will um, unfortunately be helped by, by some of these uh, very serious developments, the most right-wing uh, extremists. How, how does that make you feel now after, you know, um... What about almost a year and a half uh, going on two years of being out of politics um, and, you know, being with your family? To, like, are you waiting to like, I, I have to dive back in and I have to do something? I still have a political role and I still um, serve on and take on some of the projects that I, I feel really um, that, I, that I feel a lot of, uh, about. And um, um, I am on the um, executive committee of my party, so I'm in the leadership of, of my party still until the next Congress. So I have a, a platform there, but I, I'm also engaged in a few projects that, that deal with climate change and also the, the interest for feminist foreign policy and uh, environmental uh, issues uh, as well. So, so I try to to continue and and be active. But very often you sit in those Zoom meetings and you think, so where are all these words going? <laughs> How do we turn it into something that changes people's everyday lives? Uh, and that's that's the difficulty with it. But um, um, you, you remember that, or you know the story that when we call somebody an idiot. Uh, that is the name, that's a Greek name of uh, the persons that did not participate in the decision making in the, uh, you know, um, in the old days in, in Greece, uh, at the Agora, the, in the square where people would meet up. But of course, also in those days, if we think that this was the origin of democracy, uh, the ones who were excluded were, of course, the slaves, and no women were allowed. So, so still, we have to make sure uh, that we include uh, people and that we encourage people and that we give them a chance to live their lives to the full. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Can I ask you, um, when you look at you being on an executive committee, so you have a chance to look through your party, maybe outside your party too, who do you see yourself in and with these young women that are coming up now that we should have an eye on and that will be a game changer today and five and 10 years from us, uh, from now in, in Swedish politics? Well, I would say there are many. I see, and especially, I think very often that in my party as, as well, the ones who are most active often have their roots in another uh, uh, country. Uh, so we have so many, we have many young Iranians, we have many uh, people from Syria, and they are amazing. They are, uh, you know, well-educated, they are very vocal, they, um, they are uh, hardworking, and I think they are making uh, a deep impression. So I, I believe that the future belongs very much to these young young women, young girls that I see now. You've been in rooms where, you know, you drive a feminist agenda and you know there's people in this room that completely disagree with you or even run a country that the women's rights are completely backwards, right? But yet... You got to drive a point through and you got to get something out of this meeting. And I've I've thought about this a lot. And is would Jason and I ever come to the point where we would invite somebody from the party in Sweden that we don't even mention their name? Right. That's one of the rules of this podcast. We don't mention their names. Yes, we don't. We don't. Mm. Yeah. So when you in the 90s and in the early 2000s, you have to negotiate with people that you know completely have, not only do they have different thoughts than you, but it's actually like really like evil or hurtful mm-hmm. stuff. How, what, what was the mindset when you walked into this room? Like how you have to get something? How do you do it? Because Jason and I, we're going to come to this point where ah, we need a skill set. I'm not saying we would invite them, but we need a skill set. <laughs> well, well, you know, if you criticize, like I did with uh, Saudi Arabia, it came with a pri- at a price. So it was difficult. Uh, so there was a pushback, definitely. And that was very, very tough. But you also, you have to know when you reach your own limit or what you have to say, because otherwise you have no sort of moral standing or political value. So there are situations where most of the time you you have to meet with everybody. And then there come t- comes times when you have to to um, put the, um, the truth out there and you have to, to say what you what you think and follow your your heart or your conviction as as well. But then know that that could come uh, at a very high price. But when you, you know what? I think being curious 
And remember what Amos Oz says in his book, How to Cure a Fanatic. He says, it's not the, the difference between Christianity and uh, Islam. It's not between North and South. Um, uh, it's between the fanatics and the rest of us. And you have to be able to show a person that I'm really interested in what you have to say. And you have to try to, to reach out, to be able to listen, because it's only the fanatics. They know everything. They don't have to listen to anybody. But you, you are interested. You want to know what, how do you think about this? How have you come to this position or, or this, uh, um, this particular idea? And if you show that you are seriously uh, able to, to listen, then you will get more out of any such conversation. But sometimes you have to end by saying, we agree to disagree. And maybe we can find a few things that we actually agree on. And that's a, a huge step forward. I love that. And that will be also the day here at this moment when we do invite them that Jason will do it and you will be our co-host. <laughs> and I will take a sick day. I will take a sick day that day. But <laughs> I love that. That was really good advice. Mm. Right? That's mm. beautiful. We've practiced a lot of, of, of listening, especially during, uh, during the pandemic. And, and, but also that's, I just think that the natural curiosity or the want to, the want to understand what makes the other person tick or how, how, like you said, how somebody came to the position that they hold or the perspective or the opinion. Uh, most of the times I'm actually very curious about that, especially when it's people who, whose opinion or position I, I, I don't agree with or can't understand. Um, I think on an individual level, though, for, for humans, it's easier, like if I'm face to face with with someone uh, from the party that that we don't mention, that's one thing. I, I think bridges of understanding could be built and a conversation most definitely could happen. But it's when we're, in, we're collective, like if I'm with a group of my like minded people and they're with a the group yeah. of their like mind, that's when that type of when kind of the 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 worst part of our nature becomes obvious when we're you know and there's so I, I see this in Sweden every day and I, I rarely go into Twitter because of it but the kind of collective uh, uh, the collective generalizing blaming that's going on you know something happens then it's all the Muslims and we have to talk about Islam as a religion and it's like it's absurd because it's over a billion people like how can you you know. Uh, yeah, I, that's something I can't figure out, how we're going to build bridges of understanding between groups. Between individuals, it's possible. Between groups, I see it as just almost impossible. But, but you know, this we also, in, in our political system, and we have been lucky to live in a, in a democracy and at peace for such a long time in, in Sweden. But in our system, we also uh, use a lot of consensus. We use a lot of, of um, uh, compromise. We make compromises and we accept that as, an, as an, um, an, a tool and an, an agreed ingredient in, in democracy. But in, in the US, it's, not, uh, it's considered weak, a weakness if you uh, compromise. And I think that's a, a very fundamental difference between our systems. And um, so I think that you should, you know, the fact resistance is also very problematic if people don't accept that certain things are, are facts, because you have a right to your own opinion, but not a right to your own facts. And, and that's, that's where we have to start. So you have to establish some kind of understanding of, of a, um, uh, how how a, a conversation should should um, happen and uh, and its course, um, but you can also be very different as an individual because I love ev every person. I start by loving them, and then they, they they can prove me wrong, and then I might change my mind. While, for example, my husband is the other side. You know, he has, he's very skeptical. And then they have to prove that he's worthy of his uh, his affection, you know. So very, very. Uh, but I, 
I start by by thinking every person is a good person. No, just hearing you speak, Margot, and I, I've I've heard you speak, and I've had the pleasure to speak with you before. It's, you know, it makes me think of the one thing that that so many places and and parts of society is obviously missing today, and that's leadership. You know, with you know, just hearing somebody who was at the very top of a political party say that I go into the room, you know, I want to love every person until they, you know, just being able to say that or like you earlier when you were talking about Joe Biden, President Biden, you know, as compared to his his uh, uh, predecessor. There's just such an obvious lack of of that type of loving, intelligent leadership uh, that we see. And, and, you know, not only as, as heads of state, but, but in positions in society, I would say. But you, Just uh, you a know, thought. President Biden, mm. he knows what he wants. He knows mm. uh, he has a program and mm. he follows. And yes, like you said, he set an agenda. Yeah. He has set an agenda and he's mm. now working very hard to make sure that he can follow through and implement it. And I, I think that that's the... Sometimes it's the difference between me and and also some new leaders that I, I see. And I, I, I can't believe that they cannot present sort of their priorities when they take up a, a new job. I've always come prepared. I've had my, you know, 10 points agenda or four points agenda or three things that I can say, these are my um, priorities. These, these are the things that I really want to be checked against when I leave. At the end of the mandate, you you can ask me, have you delivered on this? What are the results? And I can give you the results also from our feminist foreign policy, but also the other priorities that that I had as as a foreign minister. I think there is one more thing about the pandemic, and I I would like to introduce that. Um, It is time very soon. I mean, we are in the midst of, of all of this. We don't we don't have the vaccines everywhere, for example. So we will focus on that now. But very soon we will have to look at the root causes of pandemics, and this is a so-called zoonosis. So it means that the virus is transmitted from animals to human beings. Why uh, do we have that problem? Uh, and uh, a majority of the, the very dangerous uh, diseases and pandemics that we've seen over the years and viruses uh, are of this kind. And it's because we have too much of deforestation, too much of loss of, of biodiversity. And it means that these animals are eaten or they are in contact with people when they shouldn't be. And we have to do something about that. We, we have to look at it so that we don't have another pandemic in one or two years. So we will have to address also some of the, of the very difficult root causes. And, and they have to do with environment and they are um, exa- exacerbated by, by did, uh, climate did, change. Did you, guys, did you guys see David Attenborough's latest film? I it I, I just can't, no. I it just came to think of it because he talks like Marcus did you see it uh, he, he he the whole film it's about like his life and what's happened to the planet over the course of his life and he's he's at a quite old age now I think he's high eighties I think or so he's no, in his eighties he's more than ninety 90. even yeah so <laughs> so he's had a long life and and. You know, he presents, of course, statistics of what the world looked like when he was born and what the world looks like today. But but the the mind blowing thing I thought was that he he both started and ended the film in in Chernobyl or in the city that's where the Chernobyl mm-hmm. nuclear reactor was, and he does that and and you're like, why do this in a movie that's supposed to, you know, uh, uh, be about the environment mm-hmm. and so forth? He does it to show how quick nature can retake the structures that we have built once humans aren't in it. And it was just, I just thought it was a really uh, uh, mind-blowing, what do you say, grep, uh, way to show exactly what you're talking. And he uh, is speaking about, Margot, and he talks about renaturalization. Like, uh, uh, you know, we're not the only ones living on the planet and we have to leave space for for uh, the other life, the other life forms that are here. 
Otherwise, we'll run into problems. We have to make mm. peace with nature mm. because we cannot overuse it as we are doing right now. Mm. I think there is, a, from going back to what Margaret says, you know, um, Kellyanne Conway, she introduced a famous um, alternative <laughs> fact, right? When you talk, you cannot work, you cannot. And she stood there with a straight face, said it, and it's like, boom, that's a game changer, right? And it's like a term that I was like, when I heard it, I was like, whoa, right? So that, that's a new one. But obviously... Then when you come, you can't really compare Sweden and the United States. I think you can compare New Jersey with Sweden, yeah. Connecticut with Sweden, because you can compare Europe and mm. United States and it's, you know, multitudes and population and etc. But the, I saw something a couple of years ago and then I saw it recently again. I'm like, when I'm speaking to you, I'm like, that could actually be part of the new wave of, polit of politics. And since many ideas starts in Sweden, starts in Europe, and then eventually it gets become, like you think about an idea like Spotify, it started in Sweden, but today people think about Spotify as an American company, most likely because the most of the artists might, might come from America. So one idea, I mean, Jason, you remember when Tupac, when they did the first holo, hologram uh, concert, and now there's a 2.0 version of that hologram where you can actually you go into uh, the screen and you're literally in the room, right? So where you talked about the Zoom doesn't actually give you all the arms and all of this, this hologram. And I thought about that. Think about politics is all local, right? So a future politician can actually out of their apartment in Vermland or house in Stockholm or whatever, and Jason, you could actually do 10 concert <laughs> you could actually meet the people the voters or yeah 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 yes yeah. right so i mean obviously in cooking it would be harder but in music you could do it or in politics you could actually have so the new way of campaigning yeah. can actually get done yeah. in that way i don't know how you get the back and forth in real yeah. time but technology will probably be a huge part yeah. of how politics and politics will declare. And I do think a place like Sweden, because you have a smaller country in terms of population, but you also have a high tech, and you know, you have tech yeah. everywhere. So people could access it. So I do think Sweden will be part of what is next yeah. in politics and policies. We are digitalized uh, at the level that is much higher than, than the US if we look at the US as a, as a whole now. Um, and we are very interested in new technology. And I think definitely this has taught us, taught us a lot about the opportunities offered by new technology and information and communication technology. So I think so much will will change. Less meetings uh, where we have to travel to Stockholm. Do you know, by the way, that I was the first uh, minister that actually moved my office out from Stockholm um, to uh, Bergman. And we had meetings, video conference meetings. And this was end of, what was the of, end of the 80s. And... Um, it was, of course, heavily criticized, but uh, <laughs> I can was, imagine. Yeah. I was I was really a pioneer, and late mm. after that, I I noticed that the ministers in Canada, where they had to travel so from far, they they also uh, tried that uh, very bad technology, you know, and bad lip syncing and all of that. But <laughs> but it worked. I could actually. Mm work from from my my hometown uh, and didn't have to do yeah. so I, I think we will see a new a new methods new um, new technology and that it will help us a lot also yeah. in democracy I'm sure can I can I just share a short story and and Margot I, I don't know if this is you know but it's so many years ago now that I think it's fine to tell it but uh, but because it involves all three of us and it involves uh, the Red Rooster, which I always say is a place where anything can happen. Like anybody can walk through the doors at Red Rooster. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's always the great food and the great music. And uh, we were actually having dinner there, Margot, a, a, a good many years back. And uh, 
sitting next to us at the table was was Boris Johnson. Uh, I don't think you were there that evening, Marcus, but it was crazy. And then all of a sudden, the the uh, the dining room just like cleared out. And it was just our table and Boris Johnson's table. And in comes David Cameron. And I'm like, I can't believe it, you know, here at the Red Rooster. And that from that day on, I'm like, yeah, it's the only restaurant in the world where this could happen, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'll, and I'll never forget that evening. I'll never forget it, you know. <laughs> so can I tell you a funny story mm. about that? So I refused to go into a restaurant because I didn't want to have a picture of the camera. Like I was, I knew, I, was, I knew they were That's coming. That's why you didn't come and I was that like, day. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. It's like, because that image would yeah. be out there. And I was so nervous about this day because it's also nervous because of the security <laughs> and all of that stuff. But then I was like, there's no way. So I was I was in Harlem, but I could I was like, there's no way because I do not oh, want to have a picture of that picture. <laughs> but but yes. also yes. <laughs> I understand you, Marcus. But also, Margot, you were so brave in your, you know, that was also to me just a, a, a just uh you showing that that great style of leadership that you had in your way of uh uh you know acknowledging and of course you know, you went over and had a conversation with him and said hi, even though, you know, as we said before, these aren't people that share your um, your values entirely and so forth. But but still, you know, you have to keep the conversation open. And I was like, go, Margo, go, Margo, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, once Thanks. again, it takes women because I was hiding in the back and Margo <laughs> stepped up to the plate. Next time in Harlem, then. Exactly, exactly. Ms. Margot Wallström, thank you for coming on this moment. Just hearing you and being in conversation with you has helped us a lot. You know, it's inspiring, energizing, and uh, uh, it, uh, it gives me hope. Just, you know, knowing that there are politicians like yourself uh, living and breathing uh, in this world. Uh, we salute you. We salute you. No, thank you. Yeah. And I wish I had been there because I could maybe have had something nice to eat prepared. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, Margot, you're welcome back on the podcast. Once we are back to being able to um, to meet in real life again, we're going to do this live and then there will be exactly that. There'll be cooking, there'll be food, uh, there'll be music uh, because without that, we are, you know, uh, a social get together is nothing. So you're invited back anytime you want, Margot. And uh, there will be food, there'll be music. Absolutely. Thank you. It has been my pleasure. Thank there you, you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I'd like to send a special shout of thanks to Christian Nolin for helping us set this up. And of course, an extra thank you to Margot Wallström for sharing her wisdom with us and for being this shining exemplar that she is in the field of international politics, which is so very, very rare. Margot, you mean the world to us. Follow us on Instagram at this moment podcast. Email us, email us at this moment podcast at gmail.com. Until next week, dear listeners, thank you for tuning in. Peace. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 